Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Thank you for coming in. we got some more folks that are going to be coming in in the next few minutes. So glad to have you here. For those of you folks joining us online, thank you for clicking on this. Have you as well. A uh, couple of housekeeping things um, to let you know about. First of all, for this uh, 1030 service, we are not requiring masks to be worn. Uh, if you want to wear yours, that's, that's your option. You're welcome to continue, continue to do that. But that's not uh, mandatory today, so why don't you be aware of that. Also, we will be taking communion together this morning. and We'll have some thoughts and a prayer for communion. And then uh, when that time comes, when it's time to take communion, if you'll just take the uh, communion cup that should be on your chair. If you peel off the first lid, you get the wafer, and then peel off the second lid, you can drink the juice. And that's how we'll take um, communion together this morning. So I wanted you to be aware of that. And then uh, we are still, we still have not gotten our renovated, allow us to be using that part of the building yet. So we don't have our kids' classes and our kids' worship available right now. But we do have activity bags available for our young ones. So if you got some little ones with you, you need something to keep them uh, entertained and engaged while we're worshiping together, those are right outside in our lobby, and you can pick one up for your, for, uh, your to have that um, during worship. And then we do have one room uh, uh, to be used for a nursery, and it's right across our lobby. If you go out these doors and right across the lobby, you'll find that room there. And there's a monitor in there where you can keep, um, you know, see what's going on here and keep worshiping with us. While you're there with your child, if that's something that you need to take advantage of as well. So why don't you be aware of those things uh, as we get ready to worship together today. I'm excited to be worshiping with you. Um, we're going to be singing praise together. We're, as I mentioned, we're going to be taking communion together. Uh, we're going to spend time with the Word together today. And I, I believe with all my heart you're going to be blessed by being here and being part of our worship this morning. So I'm glad you chose to be with us. Glad you chose to get online with us today. Let's pray. Ask God to bless our time of worship. And then we'll begin praising Him together. Father God, thank you for letting us be here today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to worship, to sing praises to you and tell you what an awesome God we think you are, to, to spend time remembering the, the grace that was offered because of your son's sacrifice on the cross, to spend time uh, listening to you speak to us today through your word. And God, I pray that, that everything we do today just draws us closer to you and helps us to connect with each other. God, I, I know that there are people who are in this room and there are people who are joining us online who, even though they're looking forward to being here and worshiping with us, they've got burdens that they're carrying right now. And maybe it's stress, maybe it's anxiety, maybe there's some fear, maybe there's some physical issues they're dealing with, maybe some relationship problems, uh, maybe a spiritual issue, God, an addiction, a habit, something that's keeping them separated from you. And Father, we came to worship with those things, but we pray that as we worship together, that you would lift those burdens from us, that we wouldn't leave here weighed down by the same things that we walked in the door with. So, so we ask that your presence fills this place, not just so that, so that we can know that you're here, but that we can feel that you are freeing us from the burdens that we're carrying as we worship you together. May everything that we do today bring glory to you and draw us closer to each other and closer to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's get on our feet. Let's worship God together. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Sing aloud to God, but the people shall be for his throne. Hallelujah, sing aloud to God, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah. 
Every time I kneel to pray, I open up my heart to my Lord. morning. We're going to start talking this morning a little bit about vision. Uh, vision is something that I struggle with sometimes. I'm, I'm more of a detail person, um, both in personality, both in my occupation. And there's, there's a different person that we sometimes think about that does not struggle with vision. We, we call them visionaries. Um, these are people who can, can see the big picture and who can sometimes see that before, like most of us, even realize that that's what, what the future is going to hold. Uh, a, a couple examples uh, I think of are things like Netflix. I don't know if you guys remember, but they used to send you DVDs in the mail. Um, but they didn't, they didn't call their name DVD direct to you or anything like that. They, they saw the vision of, of streaming that same content over the internet. Uh, people like Steve Jobs, who had this idea that you could combine this iPod, uh, this phone, and the internet all in one device. And we, we look back, and that feels like so long ago that we didn't even know what a smartphone was. But those type of people um, just, can, just have a different view of things. And when, when I think about vision as it relates to, to God's vision for us, um, 
he's always had that vision for us to be connected with him. Uh, it, it hasn't always been easy for people to see that. You think about hundreds of years of prophets trying to explain that. You think about the disciples who walked with God, literally, uh, had issues sometimes. Even us, with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of the, the Bible, struggle with, with seeing the vision of God. The part of that vision that we get to celebrate this morning and remember is that vision to send Christ to die for us on the cross. Um, all part of God's grand vision that to see, to see us reconciled to him. Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let's think about that as we pray. Father God, we, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this time of worship, this time to, to celebrate and uh, be with each other. God, we, we ask that you, you help us to remember your vision for us, that you help us to, to see the purpose in our lives and to see the gift uh, of Christ dying on the cross. God, thank you um, for that. God, forgive us when we, when we let that slide and when we uh, fail to prioritize that in our life. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand with me as we sing the song before Marshall's lesson this morning. We believe in the Lord God Almighty, in Jesus our Savior and King. We believe in the kingdom of heaven, and we will sing, we will sing, we believe. Jesus. 
Scott was just talking about some different visionaries, and I don't know who came to your mind when you thought of visionaries. Um, I've, I've told this church family before that I watch the History Channel a lot, not every single show that's on the History Channel, but certain ones, and uh, there's a series that the History Channel has been running recently uh, called The Food That Built America. Has anybody else watched this besides me? A few of you have? Okay. Um, the Food that Built, that Built America, and it's basically going through like different like iconic foods uh, in our country and just kind of showing where they started and maybe showing some of the, some of the competition between uh, different companies. You know, they talked about like Pizza Hut getting its start and then Domino's and how they competed against each other. It talks about um, McDonald's and Burger King and just all sorts of different, you know, I guess competitions between different foods, but where those things started in the first place. And one of them, they were doing, uh, you know, talking about uh, the start of some candies. Um, and there's a lot of different candies that had their start uh, here in America. And there's one in particular that has become, one, if, if not the most popular candy in the world, it's pretty close. I, I feel like I have to go back and watch, so I, I don't want to say this is a direct quote because it might be wrong. But I'm pretty sure that it is the top or close to the top candy in the entire world that had it start here in America. Anybody guess what it is? What would you think? Hershey bars? Close. Not quite, though. Who said it? Reese's peanut butter cups. That's it, man. Reese's peanut butter cups is like the most popular candy in the world. And some of you are going, exactly right it is. That's just God's goodness in a cup. I mean, it's wonderful, you know. And if you know, like, that's one of the things they talked about on this show, where Reese's peanut butter cups came from. And, and this guy, H.B. Reese, was actually working for the Hershey Company. Uh, he was a farmer. He was a dairy farmer for one of the, uh, for, for Hershey. And then he got laid off. They were downsizing a little bit, and he ended up losing his job. And he ended up, Mr. Reese had 16 kids. Um, so you got to provide for those somehow. Uh, and now he lost his job. He's trying to figure out what to do. And so he starts experimenting. He's got access to chocolate, having formerly worked for Hershey's. And he, and he starts experimenting with some candies and making candies in his own kitchen. And he's taking those to sell in stores and stuff. And he's barely scraping by, barely keeping his 16 kids fed. But he keeps plugging away at it. And he keeps trying to figure out there's something that I can find that the public at large will enjoy and it'll take care of my family. And, and he, he finally discovered this new thing that was out on the market in the early 1900s called peanut butter. And it was like, oh, well, what if I added some peanut butter to some chocolate? Oh, that's good. And there's this whole process they went through to figure out how to do that. And within just months of discovering Reese's peanut butter cups, He's selling, he can't even make them fast enough in his kitchen because they're flying off the shelves of the stores um, so fast. Now, I don't know when you think visionary that you think H.B. Reese. I'm not for sure that that's, that's the name that came to mind. But if you think about it, he had a vision. Now, maybe his vision was dictated to him by the fact that he had no job and 16 children, but he still had a vision. There's something that I want to accomplish. There's something out there that I can do, and I see it. And, and the, the big difference between him and other people at the time was he owned that vision. He wasn't working at a candy company that was making peanut butter cups. He figured it out himself. He came up with that himself. And he invested his own time, he invested his own money, he invested his own kitchen into doing that. It's, it's his kids that helped him wrap things up to sell them at first. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I want us to start thinking about today. Owning the vision. 
do I own the vision that I have? Do I, first of all, do I even have a vision? Are there things that I see out there that need to be accomplished, that need to be done, that somebody needs to do something about? And then the second thing to follow up with that is, am I taking ownership of that? Is it something that, that I'm going to do, that, that I'm going to, to take part in and invest in, invest my time and my effort and my energy and my money and, and my pride? And is it mine? Do I own the vision that I have? And I think, especially for us as Christians, do we, do we own the vision that God has put in front of us? Do we have a sense of purpose and a sense of vision for our lives? And then if we do have that, if we sense that God has given us those things, do we, do we, do we own that? Or do we see things out there and see there's needs to be met and there's things to be done, there's ministries that can be, uh, you know, somebody can take a part of, somebody can take a part of. Somebody should do something about that situation over there. Somebody should get involved in that particular thing, but it's not me. And maybe we don't necessarily articulate it that way, but that's what our actions demonstrate because we don't own that vision ourselves. Does that make sense? And God calls us to own these purposes and these visions that he puts, I think, on our hearts and in our lives. You see it throughout Scripture. I'll give you some examples. We've talked multiple times about David. Now, there's lots of different stories of the life of David in the Old Testament. But one that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to is David's vision for having a place to go worship God. And David had this vision of, this, of, of what we call the temple. Because up to that point, even though David had this beautiful palace that he was living in, the Ark of the Covenant where people would come to, to worship God, it was just a big tent. And, he, and David thought to himself, it's not right for me to be in a big palace. And God, basically, knowing that God's bigger than a tent, but still, God's here in a tent, and I've got a palace. And so he has a vision for building a temple, a big church building for people to come and find the presence of God and to worship him there. And God tells David, it's not going to be you. I appreciate the thought. I don't want you to do it, but I want your son Solomon to do it. And so if you go in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, you read this whole story of David explaining to Solomon and to his officials at the time, I've got this vision for this temple. God doesn't want me to build it, but he wants my son Solomon to build it, and I'm going to start getting ready for it. And if you read through the rest of that, David, David draws out the blueprints himself. David creates a plan for this temple, and he starts gathering the materials for it. He's not going to be alive to see it. Neither are the rest of the officials that, that uh, are, are working with him and working for him. And yet, if you keep reading through that chapter, they all start gathering out of their own storehouses, out of their own treasuries, their own gold and silver. All the different battles that David won and all the, all the gold and, and, and all the treasures that he won in those battles, he starts donating it and having it melted down and things be, getting ready to build this temple. Why? Because he owned the vision of the temple that he wanted to create. He wasn't just saying, okay, Solomon, one of these days you're going to need to build a temple and good luck with that. He's owning that vision himself and acting on that ownership. Nehemiah, fast forward 500 years, and you come across this guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah uh, is, is, you know, 500 years after this glorious temple that Solomon built has been destroyed. In Nehemiah's lifetime, that temple is a pile of rubble. So is the capital city of Jerusalem where the temple used to be. It's all been decimated by the Babylonian Empire. And by the time Nehemiah comes along, the Israelites, because they had disobeyed God for so long, he had allowed the Babylonian Empire to take them over, take them into captivity, destroy the city of Jerusalem, destroy the temple, knock down all the walls. It's just awful. And they're living in captivity for 70 years. And now the Persian Empire is in power. And Nehemiah has this vision for the city of Jerusalem. 
to go back to it and to raise the walls and to rebuild the city and, and have the nation of Israel occupy the city of Jerusalem once again. He had that vision. But he didn't just think about it. He didn't just say, boy, I really like for that to happen. I really like for somebody to go over there and do that. He took ownership of it. And he went to Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah chapter 2 says that he rode around the city. He spent three days making the plans, looking to see where all the gaps were in the wall and what it was going to take to rebuild all of that. And then he got the people that were there together. And he said, all right, let's rebuild. Let's start. And he had this vision for rebuilding the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now, there's something I should mention about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not an architect. He was not a general contractor. He was not an engineer. You know what Nehemiah's job was before he went to go rebuild the city of Jerusalem? He was a professional wine taster. That's the experience that he had. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah probably didn't even live in the city of Jerusalem because it's 70 years down the road. He probably never even lived there in the first place. But he had a vision for rebuilding the walls and reclaiming that city for God's people once again. And so he got together with some other people who were not professional builders themselves. It was jewelry makers and perfume makers and professional wine tester. Let's go build this wall. And they did it because they took ownership of the vision that they had. Go over to the New Testament. When, when Jesus' ministry is started, you go to the book of Mark, the second book of the New Testament. And early on in, in the second chapter, in Mark chapter 2, you find this story of, these, of this guy that's paralyzed and these friends that brought him to Jesus. And if you don't know that story, if you've forgotten some of the details in it, these friends bring this paralyzed man to Jesus, and Jesus is inside this house. And there's so many people that are piled into the house that you can't even get inside um, to see Jesus. And maybe there's people like piled around the windows and the doors and everybody's trying to listen and probably push their way in. And here come these friends of this paralyzed man and they, they bring him and I guess they're, they're carrying him on some kind of a mat or a blanket or something. They bring him to Jesus, but they can't get inside. And if you keep reading the story, they end up going, finding a way to get up on top of the roof of the house and they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. And as the story goes, Jesus sees this man and he sees these guys that have lowered him down and he's, and he's so uh, moved by what he sees, he tells this man, your sins are forgiven, and that upsets the religious leaders of, that are in the room at the time, and that's a story for another time. But then he ends up healing him. This guy who could not walk now walks out. You know, he, he came into the room being lowered from the ceiling. He walks out of the room after spending time with Jesus. It's an amazing story. But what I want, I, what I want you to see this morning in Mark chapter 2 is the friends, the friends of the paralyzed man. And the vision they had. What was their vision? They wanted to see their friend walk. They, they had a vision for their friend who could not move on his own to be able to get up and move and interact and do all the things that they, that they could do. That was their vision. But then they took ownership of it. And they, they carried him. All, uh, who knows how far they came from. And they carried him all the way to Jesus. And then they get there and... I'm guessing they didn't necessarily bring pickaxes and shovels with them. That wasn't part of the plan. But the vision is we got to get him to Jesus. So they figure out how to get a paralyzed man up on a roof. And then when they get on the roof, they, you know, they got to dig through this with whatever they could find. Maybe their bare hands, maybe something else on the roof. And they punch a hole in the roof and they lower him down in front of Jesus, which maybe they had a spotter down the ground looking through the window and going, no, this way a little bit. And then, then they dig the hole and they lower him down. But even that's got to be a chore because I don't know how high the ceiling was, but you got to be careful about how, you know, 
fast, you lower one side or the other when you're lowering this guy down. Although he was paralyzed, so if he fell, it might not have hurt that bad. I don't know. But they get him down to Jesus. They had a vision. We want to see our friend walk. And they owned it because they did everything possible to make it happen. Fast forward past Jesus' ministry. After his years of ministry and his death on the cross, his resurrection, he goes back to heaven. The church begins. And that's what you find in the book of Acts. The history of the church after after Jesus was gone. And And one of the preachers is a guy named Paul. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul has a literal vision. He actually sees a guy from Macedonia. Now, Paul at the time is in what is now modern-day Turkey, and he has a vision of a guy from Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece. And this guy from Macedonia says, you need to come over here. We need to hear about Jesus. And if you look in Acts chapter 16, the very next day, Paul's like, all right, head to Macedonia, and he takes off. He immediately took ownership of that vision, and he gets over there. He's never been to Macedonia before, as far as we know. He doesn't know anybody there, but he goes there, and he starts talking and telling people about Jesus. And people give their lives to Jesus because of Paul's sermons, and then he gets chased out of town, and, and riots almost cause, and he goes to another town a little further south, and there's another riot caused because of Christianity. He has to leave that town, and goes to another town, and he gets kicked out of that one again. And if you read, you keep reading, he finds himself in the very southern part of Greece, in a town called Corinth. And if you're reading the book of 1 Corinthians, as he's writing back to those folks years later, and he says, you remember when I first came to Corinth? Remember what that was like? I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a single friend. I didn't, I, none of Paul's friends were with him at the time. He's completely alone. And he says, I was so alone and, and just worried. I was, I was physically shaking in fear when I showed up there. But when you get to 1 Corinthians, who is he writing to? He's writing to a church, which means what? He told some people about Jesus. And a church became established because of it. Why? Because Paul had a vision from somebody in Greece saying, you need to come help us, and he took ownership of it. And I share these stories with you. There's more that we can share, but I share these stories with you because the thing that all these stories have in common, each one of these instances, somebody had a vision. They could see what needed to be done. They could see what was in front of them. They could see what it was that they, that they needed to accomplish. But they also owned it. They made it personal. They didn't look at the situation and go, man, that's something that somebody needs to take care of. Somebody should do something. They said, I'm going to do it. This is going to be me. I'm going to take ownership of it. And it may cost me a lot of time. It may cost me a lot of money. It may cost me a lot of energy. But it's mine. I see this vision. I'm owning it. And they moved to action because of it. And that's what we need to do as well. I believe God still calls us to have a vision for our lives and to take ownership of it. And, there, and yet there's so, many, there's so many times for many of us, myself included, that we have goals. We have a vision of what we need to do. But, but we... we we wish things would happen. We would cross our fingers and hope things would happen. But we don't take actual ownership of it. We don't take the actions to make it happen. And, that, and, and we just don't fully buy into that particular vision. And that happens for a variety of reasons. I mean, sometimes our priorities get in the way. 
we just, we get busy. We, there's things that, that, that challenge us for our time and our attention and our focus. And it's not that we don't want to do this particular thing. It's not that we don't see the need for it. Just there's other things higher up on the to-do list. There's other priorities that, that get in the way from us actually taking ownership of that vision. Sometimes it's our comfort zone. I may be really, really comfortable where I am. I may not even like where I am, but I'm really comfortable there. I, I've got my habits. I've got my routine. And for me to do something different, that's going to be uncomfortable. For me to do something that I've never tried before, for me to do something that's going to challenge me a little bit, no, 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 change is, change is hard. I don't like change. And so, yeah, it would be important for somebody to go do that particular thing, but it's just not going to be me because I would be too uncomfortable with that. Along the same lines, discipline is hard for some of us. I mean, whether it's a personal habit or whether it's a, a change in a, in a relationship or whether it's a you know, change in priorities, whatever it is, owning that vision, owning that change usually requires some kind of discipline. I've got to commit to this. I've got to stick to this. And even if I'm challenged to stop doing this particular thing, even if it's difficult, I, I have to stick with it. Man, some of us just, we struggle with that kind of discipline. We struggle with sticking to it. And because we struggle with sticking to it, we don't take ownership of it. Maybe it's just doubt. Maybe doubt keeps me from owning a vision that God has put in my life. Because maybe I failed in the past. I tried it before and it didn't work. Maybe I've seen other people fail. They've tried it before and it didn't work. Why am I going to try Maybe, maybe it's something that I've never tried before, so I just automatically assume worst-case scenarios. This is just going to go bad. And, and I'll convince myself, I'll rationalize and convince myself that it's not going to work, that I'm going to fail, that it's going to be too hard and take too much effort, and, and it just keeps me from even trying in the first place. And I see a need, I see some way to serve, I see some way to get involved, I see a change to make maybe even in my own life. But I've already decided it's not going to work, so why even mess with it? And folks, this is stuff, and just, you know, I, I keep talking about seeing other things that need to be done. Maybe it's something in my own personal life. Maybe there's a habit that needs to change. Maybe there's, maybe there's addiction and a habit to get rid of. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to change. Maybe my marriage needs for me to do something different. And I, and I recognize what it would take for my marriage to be healthy, but man, that's, that's going to take some discipline. That's going to take me getting uncomfortable probably going to fail so why even try maybe it's church involvement maybe it's a change in a friendship whatever it is we can see it we can see what we wish it was like but we don't own it so we don't change it we don't do anything about it if there's a significant change that's going to happen in my health habits, in my marriage, in my parenting, in this dating relationship that I'm in, there's a change going to happen in this friendship, in my job, in how I get plugged in with the church family, in, in, in my own faith. I have to see it first. I have to have a vision first. What is it that I feel God is leading me towards? 
What is it that I feel like God has put on my heart? This is what your involvement in church could look like. This is what your life could look like without this addiction. This is what your marriage could look like. This is what your family could be like. This is what this dating relationship could be. I have to see it. I have to have a vision of it. But the second thing is I have to own it. Because I can look at it and admire it all I want to, but if I don't take ownership of it, nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to be different. Does that make sense? i got to own the vision. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit more specifically about our church family and the vision that we have for Flagstone and how we as a church family need to own that vision on a personal basis. We have a mission here at Flagstone and we have a vision in mind of of who it is that God has called us to be and, and, and what it is that he's leading this church to do. And, and I'll be honest, at least from my perspective, COVID kind of messed with that over the last year. With the, with the guidelines we had to have in place and the distancing that took place, and it just kind of messed with, I feel like, Flagstone's mission and vision for the last year. The mission didn't change, but definitely the methods to try to accomplish that mission changed. And for some of us, I think we might, have even, we might have even lost sight of our mission a little bit. Because we weren't doing things the way that we have been. Because some things were different or uncomfortable or hard. It caused us to kind of lose sense of what our vision for this church family is. What we believe God, the mission that we believe God is calling us to. And so I recognize we've got, we've got new folks that are checking out our church family. Some of them are here in this room. And we got folks that are joining us online, and that's, they, they feel like they're a part of this church family, even though they may have never set foot in the building. If that's the case, welcome. Glad you're checking us out. We, we have uh, people in this church family from very similar church backgrounds, and we have people in this church family from a variety of different church backgrounds, and some people from no church background whatsoever. And we have people who, uh, who have been a part of other churches in the past, and they're now um, a part of us. And we have people who have never been a part of any church family at all, and now they're a part of us, or at least they're, they're wanting to find out more about us. And that's all great. And what I want to do this morning for just a minute is to remind our Flagstone family what our mission is. And for those who are checking out our church family and want to know a little bit more about us, to let them know this is what our mission is. So if you never knew it before, or if you forgot it, we want to share our mission statement with you. And that is this, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the Flagstone family exists to reach out, connect, and serve. I saw you, Mariette. Yeah. See, if you haven't been a part of our church family, you don't know this, but we have hand motions to help us remember what the mission is. So we're all going to do this together. And if you're new here, it's not hard, it's not complicated. You can do this. If you're joining us online, I, would, I wish I could see a picture of you online, uh, you know, doing this on your living room couch. But, but we have hand motions to reach out, connect, and serve, okay? So because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the Flagstone family exists to reach out, everybody do this, connect, and serve. Reach out, connect, and serve. 
That's why we're here. We're going to reach out to each other, but we're going to reach out to this community. We're going to reach out to people in need. We're going to reach out to people who don't have a church family to connect with. We're going to reach out to hurting people. We're going to reach out. We're not going to focus all of our attention and energy on what's going on inside these four walls. We're going to reach out to our community and reach out across the world. We're going to connect with each other. We're going to build relationships and connections in this church family, but we're going to connect ourselves to people in this community as well. We're going to find ways to plug them in, to, to get them connected with Jesus and get them connected with us. And we're going to serve. We are going to open our hands and we're going to serve. And maybe that's, maybe that's a service project. Maybe that's serving a meal here. Maybe that's volunteering uh, in our kids' classes if we ever open those up again. Maybe that's going out in the community and finding ways to volunteer at a particular thing. But we're not going to sit, on, you know, sit and do nothing and twiddle our thumbs. We're going to get out and we're going to serve. This has been our mission for 11 years now as a church family. From the get-go, we have, we have felt led by God on this mission. And I wanted to remind us of that. And I wanted, I wanted us to understand that this is more than just goals we have set for ourselves. This statement defines our very existence. It's why we're here. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, that may be even the most important part of our mission statement. We recognize that, that the only reason that we exist is because of the grace of Jesus. We acknowledge the fact that we are a, are a room full, a church full of failures. That, wrong, that's not right. We are a church full of people who have failed. And we have failed often. And we still do. But we are covered by the grace of Jesus. And his blood washes us clean. And his, and his grace forgives every single mistake that we make. And it does it over and over and over again. And there's nothing that we have done or, or are doing or will ever do that can earn that or, or cause us to feel like we deserve it, but we get it anyway. Our God loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us and to rise again and give us life. And we recognize how life-changing that is, how amazing it is to be dearly loved by the creator of the universe. So much so that, yeah, we make a lot of mistakes. We have a lot of, you know, we, we've failed a lot. We are not classified as failures we are forgiven children of the king and we are so moved by that that we want other people to experience it too we recognize there are people who don't know what it's like to be accepted and loved and forgiven like we have been we want to reach out to those folks. And we want to make connections with them. And we want to serve them. So that they can experience what we have experienced. That's our mission. If you didn't know it, that's what it is. If you forgot it, be reminded of it today. We believe this is why Flagstone exists. Now let me take our mission a step further. And talk about our vision, our focus, because I, I, want, I want all of us to understand, we don't have a vision here at Flagstone of trying to recruit people from other churches to come be a part of us and to come fulfill our mission. That's not our focus and that's not our vision. We have people who have come to us from other churches. 
who have chosen to become a part of this and chosen to adopt our mission, chosen to own the vision that we have here, and we're thankful for you. Welcome. We need you. Glad you're here. But that's not our focus. Our vision, our focus is to make connections with people who don't have a church family at all. And say, we got one here. You should try it. We don't have a vision and a focus to have ministries and volunteer opportunities just to cater to the needs of the people who are already here. Now, we are going to try to provide Bible studies and ministries and service uh, opportunities for our church family so that they can be blessed, so that they can make connections with each other. We're going to keep doing those things. But the reason that we're doing those things is not just so we can all huddle together and say, isn't it great for all of us to be in our circle together? We are doing those things so that we can encourage each other and empower each other to go out and do those things for other people. That's our vision. And the minute that our vision becomes self-focused, we're in trouble. And we want to look outside these four walls. We want to look in our community. We want to look across the world. How can people, how can we help people experience what we've experienced? That's our vision as we try to accomplish our mission. Does that make sense? We have a vision to be a place where people with no connection to Jesus can find a connection to Jesus. Go ahead with that first screen, guys. We have a, a, a vision for people with no church family to find a place of connection. We have a vision for hurting people to, to be a place where hurting people can find healing. We have a vision to be a, a, a church family where those who have been, um, where those who are lost can get a, a sense of purpose and, and fulfillment in their lives. We have a vision to be a place where those who have been treated unfairly in any way, any kind of injustice, any kind of abuse, they can find acceptance and love and compassion here. We have a vision to be a place where people with kids can find a village to help raise them. We have a vision to be a, a place where people with, with questions can find a safe place to ask them and to search for answers. We have a vision of reaching out, reaching out to and connecting with and serving these people. And so if that's Flagstone's mission and if that's Flagstone's vision, then I have a question for each one of us to answer this morning especially if you're a fully committed member of this church family. And that question is this, is that my mission? Is that my vision? Am I fulfilling that mission? Do I, do I personally own that vision? Am I doing anything to reach out to other people? Am I doing anything to make connections with other people? When was the last time that I went out of my way to serve somebody? And, and is the reason that I'm doing those things, if I am reaching out, if I am making connections, if I am trying to serve, is the reason that I'm doing those things because I want to be a blessing to people who are hurting. I want to be a blessing to people who feel lost and in despair. I want to find some way to make connections with people with their families. I want to, I want to help people find answers. Even if I don't know them myself, I want to point them to somebody that does. 
And I ask the question because I, I, it's so important for us not to just know the mission and not just know what the vision is, but to take ownership of it. Because if we as individuals don't own the vision of this church, the vision of this church is not going to get accomplished. And we can sit back and wish and hope, boy, I hope we hire enough staff and I hope we do get enough volunteers where somebody takes care of those folks over there. What about me? Am I taking ownership? Am I owning that mission? Am I owning that vision? And if your answer to that question, if your honest answer to that question is, yeah, I am. Awesome. Keep doing it. Show the rest of us how. But if your answer, if your honest answer to that question is, nah, I, I don't do that. I haven't taken ownership of that. If your honest answer is, well, sometimes. It depends. I kind of go back and forth. Then I would say, what's keeping you from it? Maybe, maybe, maybe the, the follow-up question to this question is this. Is the reason that I'm not fulfilling the mission because I haven't really owned the vision? Is the reason that I'm not fulfilling the mission for this church family, if the reason, is the reason that I'm not fulfilling the mission that I feel like God has put in my own personal life, is the reason that that's not happening because I haven't really taken ownership of it. I haven't embraced it. I haven't invested myself in it. Then maybe that's where I need to start. And so we're going to talk about this more specifically next week. We're going to talk about some things that we can do more specifically next week, to take ownership of the vision that we believe God has for us as individuals and for this church family. And I hope, I hope that you'll be a part of that next week. I hope you'll invite other people to be a part of it as well. But I want to give you a, a starting point today. I want to give you a couple of things that, that if you're asking yourself, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I embrace that vision? How do, I, how do I get better at personally accepting the challenge of Flagstone's mission and vision? Let me give you a couple of places that all of us can start. And the first thing that we can do is we can pray. We can pray about it. And I know there's some of you that as soon as you saw the word on the screen, you're like, well, that's the preacher answer. Just pray about it. Yeah, it is. Because you know what? Prayer works. I believe in a God that, that controls uh, the entire universe and still listens to me. And I'm... I'm in all of that and thankful for it. But I believe that God listens when we pray. And I believe that if we ask God to, to help us own the vision for this church and own the vision in our own lives, that he'll do it. But I need to ask him about that. And I need to ask, I think, I think we need to pray specifically for a couple of things. I, need, I think we need to pray for open eyes. Open eyes to see what the opportunities are to fulfill this mission. Open eyes to see how we can take ownership of this vision. I need to see it before I can own it, right? I need to have the vision first. And so maybe that's what I need to be praying for. There's a story that I've told this church family about multiple times because I, I go back to it personally often. A story in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus interacts with, well, he's having supper uh, at this, basically his preacher's house. 
and a woman busts in that wasn't even invited, and she's a horrible, apparently a horrible woman. She's made horrible choices in her life. Everybody knows the bad reputation that she has. She's uninvited, and yet she shows up anyway, and she walks in, and, she's, and she bursts in and starts bursting into tears and, and washing Jesus' feet. And it's just this whole, I mean, that would be awkward nowadays in 2021. It was awkward then. It's just this whole social situation that shouldn't be happening. And Jesus, in the middle of watch, watching this woman wash his feet, and she's sobbing uncontrollably, he looks at the preacher, and he says in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, do you see this woman? Which on the surface would seem like a dumb question. Everybody can see this woman. You can't not see this woman. She's in the room. She was uninvited, and it's this crying and this sobbing and all this, this whole thing. Everybody sees her, but that's not what Jesus questioned. Jesus question is not asking, can you physically see this woman with your eyes? What's he asking? Do you see this woman? Do you see her heart? Do you see the things she's been through and the things that she hates about herself and wishes were different? Do you see how she wants healing? Do you see how she's touching me? She's craving connection. Do you see it? Do you see any of that? Do I see people hurting in my job, in my neighborhood? Do I see people in need? Do I, need, do I see people that need Jesus in their lives? Do I see people that even just need a friend? Some kind of connection? Do I, do I see where they are? Do I have open eyes to see it? Do you see that man? Do you see that woman? If not, let's, let's start praying for that. God, give me open eyes to see who I need to reach out to, who I need to connect with, who needs to be served. Let me see it. And I think we also need to pray for an open heart. It goes beyond just seeing it. Sometimes I can see the need, but I don't allow myself to be moved to do anything about it. Jesus talked about that in another story in the book of Luke. You go forward a few more chapters to chapter 10, and he talks about a guy who was walking down the road and gets jumped and beat up and left for dead on the side of the road, and there's three people that come by. Two of them are church members. One of them is a preacher. And they, and they walk by, and they see this guy. They see him, like, laying there in the middle of the road. He obviously needs help. He's obviously hurt. And, and the two church guys just keep on walking. And then one guy who everybody would assume wouldn't do anything, one guy that everybody thought had the worst reputation, would never care anything about anybody but himself, he sees him. We call him the Good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, it says this, The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. There's two key words there. He saw him in the first place, but you know what? The other two guys saw him too. He saw him, and then what? He took pity on him. He had an open heart to do something about it. All three of these guys saw they had a vision of what needed to be done. Only one of them had an open heart to take ownership of it. And he did. He bandaged the man up. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to a hotel. He paid the bill out of his own pocket. And, and he took ownership of what he saw. Because he was moved with compassion and pity for him. I need to pray. If I want to start owning the vision that God has put in my life, I need to pray about it. I need to pray for open eyes so I can see it. I need to pray for an open heart to do something about it. And the second thing is, I got to commit to it. I have to commit to it. I can't embrace this vision. I can't take ownership of it if I'm only doing it half-heartedly. If I'm only taking ownership of it when it's convenient. 
It's something I have to be committed to no matter what. A few months ago, we were talking about this, asking what if questions. What if this happened? What if this certain scenario took place and how we handle that? And then in that discussion, we talked about the story in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3, of these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were worshiping God and were told, you got to worship this idol over here. And if you don't worship this idol, we're going to throw you in that furnace over there and you're going to be burned to death. And they refuse to do it. And they basically respond, we have a God who's bigger than that idol over there, and we're going to follow him no matter what. And we believe that our God, who is bigger and more powerful than that idol over there, is actually going to be able to rescue us from this fire that you're going to throw us into. He can do it. But here's the key thing. Daniel chapter 3 and verse uh, 18 they say, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he doesn't, we're still committed. We believe in a God who can rescue us. We believe in a God who can protect us. But even if he doesn't, we're still all in. Can the same thing be said about me? When it comes to the vision that God has in my life, how committed am I? We need to reach out, we need to connect, we need to serve. I'm going to do that, even if it's hard. Okay, yeah, even if it costs you some money that you can spend on something else. All right, maybe. Even if it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. All right. Even if you might fail or mess it up. Okay, now hold on. Are we all in or not? How committed am I to this vision that God has for this church? How committed am I to the vision that I see God has for my family, for my friendships, for me? Because until I'm fully committed to it, I'm not going to take ownership of it. So that's where we start. We need to start praying for open eyes. We need to start praying for an open heart. And we need to commit to this vision that we see. Again, we're, talking, we're going to talk more about this next week. And I hope, as we wrap up this morning, I've prayed about this, and I hope that I have not come across as, like, negative and critical this morning. I hope that as you're sitting there and as you're watching online, I hope that, that it, you don't see me as wagging my finger at you, going, what's wrong with you people? Because that has not been the heart that, that I've wanted to share this from. I love this church. Not just because I'm paid staff, but because of how much you guys mean to me and how much I see you mean to each other and to this community. And I want all of us together, our members, our regular attenders, our guests who may have just found us for the first time. I want all of us together to see Flagstone as a place that doesn't just occupy a building. But a place that goes out into this community, reaches out to this community, and makes connections and serves people because we are so moved by what Almighty God has done for us. I see it. Now I want to get better at taking ownership of it.
And I want that for you too. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your love, for your mercy. You are a God of justice, and we deserve consequences. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. And yet you are a God of grace, and you have given us life, and you have given us hope, and you have given us forgiveness and freedom and we are so thankful for that God we I believe you have also given us a church family to be connected to that is hopefully a blessing for each one of us we feel loved and accepted here we feel completely unjudged here we feel like these are people who who love us no matter what and you've given us a, a, a vision and a, and a mission to, to go out and, and draw other people to become a part of what we are, we're already experiencing. God, give us all that mission. Give us all that vision and help us all to take ownership of it, whatever that looks like. And if that means volunteering, if that means hosting somebody in our homes, if that means just having a conversation with somebody at work, if that means sending a note to somebody this week, give us the willingness to, to take action, to embrace what you are calling us to, to embrace the opportunities that you are putting in front of us. Help us to see this world and the people in this world with your eyes and then, and then to commit to doing something that you would do if you were here. That's what you've called us to. So give us a willingness and a commitment to do that. God, for those who are here this morning in this room or online who have never experienced forgiveness and grace from you, who have never given their lives to you, I pray that they would be willing to do that starting today. That they would ask, how do I, how do I get saved? How do I get in this relationship with, with God? And, and, and help us to, to open that door for them so that they can see how to be connected to you and to be forgiven by you. For those, God, who, have, who are here this morning who are carrying burdens that are keeping them from, from embracing this vision, this mission, God, give them the willingness and the courage and, and the willingness to be vulnerable and to say to people here, maybe to our leadership, maybe to somebody sitting right next to them, I'm hurting right now. I'm in a habit I shouldn't be right now. I'm in a relationship that's, that's causing some problems. I need some help and give us open eyes and open ears and an open heart to help. But God, we believe that you are still the mighty God of this universe and the Lord above all lords and the King above all kings. And we want so desperately for this world to know you. We believe it when your word says that you want all men everywhere to be saved. Give us that vision as well and then help us to take ownership of it move powerfully through us god so that we can fulfill your mission not just in this church but in this world and pray all these things in the name of jesus amen turn my heart
Good morning, everyone. By the grace of Jesus Christ, the Flagstone family exists to reach out, connect, and serve. A uh, little over five years ago, I'm looking for a place to work. And really, I mean, honestly, you're like, I, I just need a job. I'm looking for a church that will hire me. But I was lucky enough to find Flagstone, a place that embodies that a place that is committed to reaching out into our community, uh, community and, and connecting in a, in a real way, connecting to God and connecting to uh, each other and serving. And even though it's been a weird year and a half and some change, we're committed to that. Uh, and because of that, we have some other people that are committing to that mission as well. Uh, Paige and Tate, if you guys will come up here. Uh, every year at Flagstone, uh, the Flagstone Teens Ministry uh, boasts having a couple of interns, a male and female intern, uh, and this summer is no different. Uh, we're very excited uh, for Paige uh, Simons and Tate Myers to uh, be with us. You guys can get right up here. Get nice and close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are going to be with us uh, starting today, and they'll be with us for uh, the full summer. They're hanging out with our teenagers, going on trips, uh, investing in the hearts of our kiddos. Uh, and they are very excited. Uh, we talked today about, um, we've been having this conversation of, hey, you guys are going to come to Flagstone since uh, October, it seemed. I think it was October. And so here it is. <laughs> Here's the moment that it's happening. Uh, they are excited. Uh, they are proud to be here. Uh, and if you would, definitely, uh, we're bringing them up so that you can put names to, to faces here. Uh, but say, hey, say welcome to Flagstone. Um, Chris, I know wherever you're at, I know that the big bear hug is coming. Um, so I don't know if they're prepared for that, but we know it's coming. Uh, so be in prayer for our interns and be in prayer for uh, the Flagstone Teens Ministry as we move forward. Uh, we're going to pray for them, and then Monty is going to close. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, your good gifts. And God, I pray that we can embody this mission. I pray that we can reach out, that we can connect, and that we can serve. And God, I pray for Paige, and I pray for Tate. I pray that they are able to embody that as well. And God, they're able to pour out into these students. And God, I pray that you are able to pour into their lives as well. God, give them strength, give them endurance, give them patience, uh, and give them an excitement about your word and an excitement about your love throughout their summer and for the rest of their lives. God, we're grateful for the many gifts that you have for us, and we're grateful for the gift of interns as well. Thank you for your son that died on the cross for our sins, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Monty? A little embarrassing, wasn't it? Well, it's good to be here. Uh, Dane and I have been worsting with the early service for the last year or so, and so we didn't know there were this many people still at Flagstone. So it's really good to see everybody and faces, no mask. Uh, this is awesome. And like Marshall said, we definitely we have a vision and a mission here, and we want everybody to be a part of that. And I would say if you are not getting our midweek uh, newsletter, that you need to get signed up for that because everything that's happening comes out of that midweek newsletter. If, you've not, if you're not getting it, you can go to flagstone.church, not .com, .church, and use, there's a place there you can sign up. You'll get that midweek, and everything going on is in that midweek. 
We also want to remind everybody we're doing everything we can to get the other half of the building open. Uh, we're waiting on the inspection, I think. Chris is back there nodding. Chris has been working on this for some time, and so he's working as hard as he can to make that happen. And it's a new career for Chris. You've done it well. You made about a two-year job out of it. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry. But anyway, we, we still sort of have tentative plans for June 7 to be over there with children's during this worship service. If we don't get that certificate of occupancy by that time, we will not be able to make that happen. But we're going to see what we can. So the plug for the midweek newsletter, make sure you're watching that so you'll know what's going on. We'll let you know as soon as we know uh, whether that has to change or whether we're moving forward with that. We do have a family that wants to place membership with us this morning, Bill and Lynn Dickey. They are the parents of David and Jenna, and they're right here in the blue, uh, if they'll wave. And so we're, we're going to let them join in our mission and our vision, and we welcome you all here. If you uh, haven't met them yet, please take a time to get to know them. I think that's it. Let's go ahead and pray. Lady Father, we come to you now, and we just thank you for all that you have done for us. And Father, we thank you for, for being our Father and blessing us as you have. And Father, we, we just ask you will help us to continue to see your vision, that you will help us to take... Um, the plans that you have for this body and, and help us to connect with those and, and be able to, to move forward and, and make a true difference in this community. And Father, we just ask that you will also help us to, to keep our eyes open, to keep looking um, for opportunities. And, and Father, we ask you to be with all the, the plans that we have placed, that uh, you will make those successful and, and you will allow us to move forward with those. We, we ask particularly that you will be with all of our uh, teens and our new interns and Brandon through the summer as uh, they have many things planned and Father we we ask that you'll keep them safe we also ask that you'll you'll help them draw closer to each other and by doing that uh, all of them draw closer to you and Father we we know you're in charge of all things we know that you are in complete control and we ask that you'll just help us to to always remember that and always know that and live that way as well and Father we we do thank you so much for letting each one of us call you our father and then we uh we know we can come to you with all of our needs and we come to you at this time in jesus name amen please stay with me we'll sing one more be on our way my life's in you my strength's in you my hope's in you it's in you it's in you my life is in you lord my strength is in you, Lord, my hope. Is in you, Lord, in you, is in you, oh, my life. Is in you, Lord, my strength. Is in you, Lord, my hope. Is in you, Lord, in you, is in you. I will praise you with all of my life. I will praise you with all of my strength. With all.
week, everybody.